I'm super thrilled to introduce you to Anna Ogle, a licensed marriage and family therapist working out of New Jersey and New York. She's also an adjunct professor at NYU, currently teaching a graduate course on marriage, couples, and family therapy. She has that kind of educator vibe where she just wants to impart or depart with wisdom uh, that she has kind of gleaned from years in the field, and she's really great to talk to and and has so much insight into the world of relationships. So I'm excited uh, to share her with you in this episode. You're listening to the Relationship Revival Podcast with John DeBach, also known as Mr. Spirituality. That's me. I'm your host giving you insights and guidance from over 10 years in the field of this amazing journey we call romance. On this show, I go over everything you need to know about how to get into a relationship, how to get the most out of a relationship, and sometimes even how to gracefully end a relationship without pulling your hair out and going crazy. And occasionally, I'm even joined by new and old friends who are also relationship experts to bring you guidance and wisdom with new perspectives. Thanks for stopping by. I'm with Anna Ogle, MFT. Is it is it LMFT or is it MFT? I know people use different. It's technically a licensed marriage and family therapist, right? Is that how it is? It's a marriage uh, and family therapist, but it's LMFT. LMFT. for license, LMFT. right. Got it. And, and you are licensed in New York, correct? New York and, and New, New Jersey. Jersey at this time. Is there a lot mm-hmm. of reciprocity between states with... Um, with an MFT, my wife is an MFT, and I know she she does oh, wow. Colorado and California, and she's looking into Nevada. Is there a lot of difference state to state, or is it is it just the licensing kind of governing boards? So it's a national exam, but every state has different like regulations and ethics that need to be followed. So you have to kind of know what the which each state requires. Gotcha. So that you can meet the requirements. Do you find that there's much difference between New York and New Jersey? Well, in terms of getting the license, it's less clinical hours in New okay. York. New Jersey is uh, a lot more hours, like 3,000 wow. hours. Um, That's a huge difference. I, I That's a huge difference. Right. <laughs> Absolutely right. So I ended up being licensed in New York before New Jersey. It just happened to be, even though I live in New Jersey. Um and I believe the CEUs are, are less in New York. That's the, well. For people who don't know, those are continuing educational units, right? Right. So yes. every year you have to kind yes. of take courses and kind of get, you know, get re-educated, essentially stay on top of things. That's what they are. Right. Okay, yes. Cool. Yes. Make sure you're in the loop. Absolutely. So let me just start things off and ask you, what what is it that makes you so passionate about therapy and and also couples work? So, you know, this is going to sound like, wow, she just said that, but I feel like it's my life journey. I've been in the mental health field for over 20 years. Even when I was in high school, I did a lot of volunteering in the community. I love working with individuals and couples and families. It's very interesting to me to learn about the family of origin, to hear their their stories, uh, whether it be individually or, you know, as a family or as a couple and helping them work through that to get some clarity. It's always about the clarity. Clarity in, in what's what exactly their problems are. Say more about that. So clarity about how they want to move forward. They always come into the session. Uh, some, some couples have, have been in couples therapy and they're like, this is just maintenance. But for the most part, they come in with, a, with the issue. 
uh, and they want it to be fixed. And some want it to be fixed immediately, right? And some are very patient. They understand that it took time to get there. So when I say clarity, I just, we have to peel back the layers. We have to, I always say to my couples, tell, tell me what brings you to couples therapy. And I want to hear from both of you. Um, and it's always interesting because they see it from two different perspectives. But I have them do that because that way they can hear it for each other. They can hear each other, right? They don't often do that at home. It sounds so basic. Mm-hmm. Helps me understand, but it helps them hear each other, maybe for the first time in years. Yeah. Um, and clarity, like how do we get here, right? Let's bring some awareness to conversations, dynamics, interactions, things like that. Are we blaming? Are we criticizing? It's like they, they, they're going through the motions. They don't even realize it. Yeah. Yeah, it's so helpful to get them to just talk in a respectful way where there's some active listening going on, I find, as well. Um, What what is your – do you have a specific approach? Do you have a specific style or modality of practice that you find works best? Or at this point in your career, is it almost second nature? I wouldn't say that it's second nature because then I would – I feel like I would fall back into this relaxed kind of like, you know, very comfortable. And I, I understand doing with this work for so long. It's been over 10 years. Like every couple is unique, whether it be culturally, religion wise, where they grew up, family of origin. So I try to be very respectful of that. And I try to go in uh, really not knowing. Mm-hmm. I want them to tell me. But in terms of approaches, I tend to gravitate towards emotionally focused couples therapy with Sue Johnson. Mm-hmm. It's a little eclectic. So a lot of EFT because I want to slow it down and I really want to get down to the feelings, right? Like what are the feelings? When your partner does X, Y, and Z, what kind of feelings come up for you? Because I feel like that's how we build safety and vulnerability. And I always say that like in order for us to make progress, right, we need to have safety in this room. So I want you to be honest. I want you to please don't come in here and sugarcoat it. We're going to have some uncomfortable conversations, but wouldn't you rather do that here in a neutral space that's safe than go home, yell, blame, criticize, and then shut down, right? Right. right. So EFT for sure, but also some Gottman because that the four horsemen of the sure. apocalypse. Sure, sure. Very real. Very real. Yeah. I'm a big, I'm a big uh, Gottman fan. And whenever I have a couple myself that is uh, – hostile, detached. I'm always like, Ugh, we got some work to do. <laughs> um, Absolutely. So yeah, I hear you. When you say safety, I actually get this question a lot where my clients say, what does that mean? So how would you define safe, like a safe environment for them? You know, it's an interesting question because how do you gauge safety? I, I feel like I just intuitively, and this sounds odd, but intuitively I could read the energy in the room. I could feel it, the tension, right. right? I can see if somebody's hesitating. I can see the body language. I can see if the arms are crossed or if somebody just, if one of the partners says, okay, whatever you right. say, right? And right. they just want to go along with it. right? Like the sense of dread as they're walking in or maybe right. not. Right. Some couples just some people don't want to be there. Absolutely. They don't see the. I don't know why I'm here. I don't see what the problem yeah. is. That's part of the problem. That's a big part of the problem. Right? Sure. So safety, I just it, I can tell like if people are, are leaning in, I tell them, let's turn your bodies so you're facing each other. They'll often talk to me like the other person's not in sure. the room. 
Yeah, very common. And I'll say, okay, well, why don't we take this opportunity? I want you to start, you know, face each other, make eye contact, and just say what what you just told me. Can you repeat that to your partner? It, I almost feel like, and that's part of the EFT. Like I need to slow it down. Right. I need to slow it down. We need to tune into the feelings because when people are vulnerable and they feel the safety, they're they're honest, and it helps the other person better understand where they're coming from. So your partner doesn't hate you because you left the lettuce on the counter. <laughs> they feel unheard. They don't feel like they're yeah. heard. And you're not validating their feelings. Yeah. So they start yelling, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. So. Very good. So you talk about reading a lot of body language. Are you seeing clients virtually these days or is it still all in person for you? So both. Definitely in person and, and virtually. And that's, that's always, I used to think that that was not possible. Yeah. The virtual part, especially right out of like graduate school, I felt in person is best. And I still believe that it mm -hmm. is for the most part. But for some reason, some couples are able to navigate the couple therapy progress or the process um, virtually. Mm -hmm. It depends on the level. I feel like it's, you know, you have to gauge your couple. Obviously, if there's a safety issue, I always assess for safety. Is anybody suicidal, any substance abuse, any domestic violence? And if I can kind of like gauge that it's okay, you know, somehow it's, there's enough safety there, I'll do the virtual. Right, right. That makes sense. Yeah. What do you miss the most when you're doing virtual sessions? More of the body language and just being there in person. But I still tell them, like, they're probably, a lot of them laugh and it's okay. That's, we can laugh in therapy. Sure. Um, I've learned that over the years, but like, I'll say, I want you to turn to your partner. And it sounds a little odd because I'm in the screen, yeah. but I still say, I want you to turn to your partner and, and just tell them what you just told me. Cause they're still talking to the screen, yeah. believe it or not. Yeah. What's well, natural, I think, you know, you're having a conversation, you want to make some eye contact. And then when you're doing Zoom or whatever platform you're using, you know, your eyes go to the screen. So it's not really eye contact because it's not in the mirror. It's, it's so funny. It is. It's, it's a whole new language we have to learn when dealing with people. Right. Absolutely. Let me ask you, do you see in, in terms of patterns, what do you see being some of the most common things that come up? in couples uh and and how do you deal like do you do you recognize the pattern and say this is every couple goes through this or do you kind of take it on an individual level like how much do you diffuse it by letting them know it's a common problem you know um and or do you find that there are no patterns and that everything really is no. unique you know every every couple is unique but it is universal i feel like i said this to somebody recently and maybe it's because I've been doing it so long. I'm like, wow, they're really like independent of where they come from, language, culture, anything. Yes. What I find is lack of self-awareness of how you're showing up in the relationship, what energy you're bringing into the relationship, for sure. Um, a pattern there, the communication. Inevitably, I feel like I say that word so many times. In sessions, like, I feel like I have to, I, I tell them it's like couples therapy 101. We have to go back to the basics, especially when it gets like they, one of them gets worked up or they start really uh, criticizing each other. I'm like, all right, we need to slow this down. Yeah. We need to go back to like active listening, mm -hmm. right? So issues with communication, people not being present, emotionally available. Um, the blaming and the criticism, Gottman has that. That is universal. Right. 
And once they start stonewalling, it's like you, I call it the disconnect. There's a disconnect there. What do you do? What do you personally like, do when yeah. you have a client who starts stonewalling right in the middle of a session? They just decide to completely detach. What's the, what's the best way to get them to re-engage? I try to, I'll say, hold on one second. I need to, I want to highlight something. I, I'm highlighting it, but I'll say that because if not, they'll think I'm just interrupting. Mm -hmm. And I'll say, all right, I want to point something out. And I want to know, is this what happens at home? When, when your partner says X, Y, and Z, is this what happens? Do you just, because what, what I just observed here in session is that you shut down. And then I'll go to the other partner and says, when your partner does that and says, whatever, or okay, or folds his arms and turns his body, how does that make you feel? What kind of feelings come up for you? And most times the partner says, you know, I feel unheard. Mm -hmm. I feel that that person doesn't care. Yeah. That's a huge part of it. And yeah. Like you yeah. mentioned before, that when it's, they leave the lettuce on the counter, it's not about the freaking lettuce. It's the fact that they feel unappreciated, unheard, whatever it is. Yeah. It's a bigger, it's a bigger problem underneath the surface. They feel dismissed. All of it. My opinion doesn't count. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. Absolutely. Have you, have you had a particular case or a particular client that was especially difficult? Like in a couple yeah. or individually? Well, we'll get into it, individuals in, in a second because I definitely want to learn more about what kind of individuals uh, you're, you're, you're seeing and kind of what your therapy tends to attract. But in the couples world first. Oh, so couples. I think the hardest challenge for me has been and and I need you know it's part of the process but when one of the couples has untreated mental illness not I'm not talking depression I'm not talking anxiety I'm not talking ADHD I'm talking like bipolar mm -hmm. borderline narcissistic mm -hmm. that kind of mm -hmm. thing yeah it becomes a challenge because they they're not willing to let their guard down they're not open to feedback they're still wanting the the partner and the therapist sure. Are you, are you saying when it's untreated, is it also undiagnosed? Yes. Like they denial. Like when, I think when you asked before, one of the challenges, one of the couples that might be the hardest to work with is like people who are in denial. Mm -hmm. They don't want to acknowledge that they, it takes two to tango. Yeah. Sue Johnson calls it the dance. Mm -hmm. But if you're in denial and you think it's just your partner, we need to go to school. We need to go back to the beginning and talk about how it's two of you here. Yeah, the the most difficult thing I've I've dealt with. I did have one client who I was convinced was sociopathic. I'm not a I'm not a clinician, so I'm, I'm I can't diagnose. But I you know had all the symptoms, so that was difficult. But that was only once in, in over ten years. But narcissism is incredibly difficult because because it's it's like they take and take and then just don't expect that anything is needed in return, and it's it's difficult. What do you? How do you approach that? What do you, what's kind of your, you know, do you kind of break the news to the partner that they're married to a narcissist or do you, I mean, how do you kind of broach it? You know, it's an interesting question because you don't want to be offensive. Right. You don't want to, you don't want to give feedback that they didn't ask for. They didn't come in for right. that. Absolutely. Right. But it, I tried to, to just help the, the couple, but the individual uh, with this partner, I just try to bring awareness to the dynamic tones in the in the session and how that person might refer to their partner in session and mm -hmm. just keeping it bigger picture i try to keep it bigger picture mm -hmm. and just highlighting interactions and dynamics and it's just another challenge and how they, gotta, they might be unhealthy they got to work with unfortunately sometimes right 
Right. Right. So what's your what's your current practice made up of? I know I want to talk also about your you're also an adjunct professor at NYU. Is that correct? So I'm really fascinated in your approach to teaching as well. But before we get there, what what's your current practice made up of? Is it mostly couples? I know you see individuals as well. Is it a 50 50 split or is it kind of all over the map depending on the week? So it's mostly couples. I do some family work as well. And I have some individuals. I love my individuals. You build a rapport there. You see them for years. Like, and I, I work by, I have an office by the NYU campus. So like everybody's young and like, I love to hear a lot of international students. That's always interesting. Um, but a little bit of everything right now. I don't work with children. I have in the past, mm-hmm. but I currently, I don't. Yeah. What, what would you say on an individual level, your, your specialties are? With couples or no, just for individuals. in general? Oh, depression, anxiety, and ADHD, a lot of ADHD. Oh, that's fascinating. Uh, mm-hmm. Have you had couples where ADHD has kind of been a factor in the relationship? Absolutely. So what's that like? Tell me more about that. Challenges within the relationship with one of the partners not like being able to function independently or being a little codependent in terms of their day-to-day and getting things done and one of the partners being frustrated and helping them navigate that while also educating the individual partner. Well, really both of mm-hmm. them, but... And the, edu- the, the hopes with the education is to bring acceptance or bring kind of a, a, a plan of how they can approach the relationship differently? What's the, what's the goal there? I think it's both. Yeah. Acceptance of this, normalizing it. It's very common. And also, like, helping them uh, develop their coping skills yeah. individually and as a couple, mm-hmm. right? Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. Navigating. Um, tell me about what being an NYU professor is like. I have to say it was my first semester teaching there. I'm teaching in the spring. It was fun. Again, I loved my students. Like, I feel like I was learning from them. Like, I love to hear their stories. Like, we would do the lectures which was on the theories for marriage and family therapy, mm-hmm. right? But then it was about hearing them, how they're applying it in session or me sharing like my experiences. I really, I really enjoyed that. When you say- It brought me back. When you say it you're learning like from your course. students, what's, can you share what, what some of those lessons or some of the things you learned was? So their experiences and that when they talk about their challenges, whether it be an internship or at their clinical sites, it brings me back to like, my own experience mm-hmm. and it I'll I, I also help them like I'll normalize it and say you know what it's okay like this is normal um but I feel like it keeps you on my toes as well yeah for sure challenging yeah, questions are, are great that. they're the way we grow first absolutely um it's like getting a right. challenging client it's like ooh, what do I do here <laughs> exactly exactly how, how big was the class size was it an intimate group or more of like a seminar type thing so it was 13 students. Oh, that's nice. Kind of um, small enough to be right. intimate. Yeah. It was pretty intimate. I feel like we really get our discussions were lively for sure. Like never a dull moment. Um, and I'm teaching in the spring again. Can't even wait. Well, that's a good sign. It means you really liked it if you're teaching again. <laughs> I liked it. I don't know. Fingers crossed. It How do you find the time just... with the practice to also become an adjunct professor? I mean, it seems like a heck of a commitment. It is a commitment, uh, paperwork, paperwork. And uh, it's actually not as hard as it sounds, right? Because I, I know the theories because of 
I have the degree in marriage and family therapy and I practice it, but um, it's, it's like, it takes a couple hours a week just to prep the lecture. Mm-hmm. And really you can't prep for discussions. Right. As long as you set it up, you're, you're all, you're in, right? Nice. That's a good outlook. I like yeah. that. Yeah. 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 Um, do you have a particular outlook on life that you, that you kind of live by that, um, that helps you kind of get through it? Sometimes as therapists, the hardest thing is to kind of keep your own mental health in check when you're listening to everything. Um, what's an approach you have to kind of keep yourself stable and, and just your general outlook on life? So my general outlook on life, I try to be positive. I'm always grateful. I wake up, I'm grateful. I'll get coffee and I'll look up and I'm grateful. I'll literally sit there and be like, I'm grateful for this. So a lot of gratitude. Mm -hmm. I work out. I love to work out because if I don't work out, that's my therapy. I also have my own therapist, but the gym is the therapy for me. Um, I used to be a runner, did the New York City Marathon twice. Not necessarily my thing right now. I'm more into lifting weights, but yeah. that's yeah. impressive. I can't, I can't even imagine run. I think if I run a block and a half, I feel horrible. So it's, it's, uh, something I a have lot. to, I have to work back up to actually getting a, a healthy yeah. jog up, but yeah, no, I always, <laughs> I always admire people who run marathons. I've, I have a few friends who've run like several every year and I'm just, I have no idea how you do it. Your machines. So. It's a lot. I don't even consider myself a runner. So that's not my thing right wow. now. Wow. But mindfulness, mindfulness. And the gym you find just helps you diffuse and, and zen out and, and kind of. Yeah, it's amazing. Like if I don't, I, I need it every day. It's habit and it's the weights. It's the endorphins. That's mm-hmm. what it is, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Endorphins make people happy. So mindfulness, working out. Yeah, gratitude, working out, mindfulness. That's I mean, if you have all three of those things constantly, I think you're you're on a on a good uh, on a good path there. Um, it's a journey. Is that what you like to do in your free time too? Just kind of go to the gym. Do you have any other hobbies or any other interests outside of the practice? I love to travel, although COVID kind of ruined that. But yes. I'm I'm getting there again between paperwork and COVID. Um, but so I love to travel. I like to go to the local museums in New York. Um, I like. A little, a little bit of dancing, not so much. What kind of dancing? Like salsa dancing. Ooh, it's a great workout. Yeah, it's it's a great workout, but but COVID, yeah. Yeah, no, that I gotta get back on that. Well, let's. You know, you've been amazing to talk to. Thanks so much for your time. I do have Aww. I do have a question for you that I try to ask of of the therapists that come on, and that is, if you had one piece of advice that you could give to every single couple knowing that if they actually followed through on it, it would make a drastic change uh, in their romantic relationships. What is that one piece of advice? Piece of advice. Wow. I feel like there's so many parts to it, but you could take as much time as you want. There's no, there's no limit. If you, if the piece of advice is 10 minutes, it's fine with me. I don't even know how long it would be, but I, I would say, you know, Continue to lean into your relationship and be mindful of how you're showing up in your relationship. Have self-awareness. I always say this to my couples on the way out. I said, be good to yourself and kind to each other, which sounds so cliche, but be good to yourself can mean so many things, right? Whether it be self-care, taking care of yourself mentally, spiritually, physically, 
and kind to each other because you can uh, you can have a disagreement and i say this to my couples you can have an argument you don't have you're not going to see things the same way you're two individuals from two different family of origins with two different life experiences you don't have to tear each other down every time you have a disagreement so be kind great advice be kind great right? advice absolutely great advice i Thanks. love it i love it I love it. Anna, you are, you are an amazing, amazing, oh, wise therapist. So and I'm sure you help your clients unbelievably well. Um, I hope so. <laughs> yeah, no, it's clear that you really care. And, and you were born for this. You were, like you said, you know, you were just born with an inclination it. to help. And that's, I find that to be a common, a common thread amongst most uh, practitioners. So it's always nice to see. Right. Um, it's a calling. Yeah, thank you so much for being here, and I thank you. And I, uh, and I and I look forward to to keeping the relationship and hearing what's next from you. If you're interested in learning how to get the absolute most out of your romantic relationships, then you're in luck because I have put together a free workshop or masterclass, if you will, about three secrets that people in happy relationships have discovered. You can view the workshop at mrspirituality.com slash three secrets. Again, it's completely free. Just go there and watch it. It'll help you on your journey, give you some wisdom, some things to think about. The website again is mrspirituality.com slash three secrets. That's mrspirituality.com slash the number three, the word secrets. It's all yours. Enjoy. Enjoy.